standard issue for all women. Hello, Jen here, full of all of the cold. So apologies for any snuffling you might hear during this. I'll try and keep it to a bare minimum. Anyway, I'm here to tell you about this week's episode of The Sunday Chops. This week, I catch up with writer and podcaster Georgina Skull, who, after a life-threatening ectopic pregnancy at 37, started to reevaluate her life and reflect on if it was everything she wanted it to be. As part of that, she set about talking to people facing their own mortality to find out if they had any regrets. And she has compiled those in her very, very inspiring new book, The Regrets of the Dying, which is more cheerful than it sounds. So in this week's Chops, we chatted about regrets, common themes of regrets, the patterns that drive them, and how in listening to other people's regrets, we can lead more fulfilled lives. I absolutely loved chatting to Georgina, and I found it a really thought-provoking discussion, so I hope that you enjoy it too. I'm joined by Georgina Skull, author of the new book, The Regrets of the Dying, Hi, Georgine. How are you doing? I wanted to ask you a question, first of all. Uh, something I learned about you from the introduction of your book, which I found absolutely fascinating, is that your great-grandmother was a bare-knuckle fighter in the pubs of Birmingham. Yeah, she was. <laughs> I mean, did, like, I never met my, any of my great-grandparents. Did you ever meet her? No, I didn't. I've seen pictures. Yeah. But I always knew my nan was a bit of a bruiser. She came across as such a lady, but if anyone crossed her, she'd be, yeah, you wouldn't want to be there, really. So I've heard <laughs> lots of stories. Amazing. It's like a slightly tangential question, but I couldn't <laughs> like read that and, and not ask you about it. So, your book. The background, basically, to your book is that 10 years ago, facing your own mortality, you had one of these kind of light bulb moments which I've written and in my notes here as life bulb moments which is actually kind of appropriate but (laughs) light bulb moments where it sort of changed your perspective on things could you tell me a little bit about about what happened and how it inspired regrets of the dying I had an ectopic pregnancy which ruptured and then basically I went into hospital I had to be given three litres of blood and they said that I had about five minutes to live you know hit and miss and my daughter was about 18 months two years at the time so you know I can it really just shocks you to think all the years since I, I couldn't be here you know she would never would have known me and I wouldn't have done all these things I'd done in between but on the flip side it kind of um, mm. froze me like I just started drifting so mm. that, I mean the reason why the book's taken me so long is for many years I just did nothing I kind of got so wrapped up in things I wanted to do in the future and all the stuff I'd messed up in the past or missed out on that I just got stuck in the middle of it. And then I hit a wall. Then I had enough. <laughs> and then I went out and just met other people who were kind of facing a more final end, really, who wanted to talk. So people over the age of 70 or people with terminal illness, just to try and make sense of, I felt like I should have really been getting on with life, but I wasn't. What? Why? Why, why am I kind of just so deep in these regrets that I can't seem to move it on? Because 37, which is your age at the time, that is quite young to have that sort of existential kind of angst about things that you've, you you know, that things that you hadn't done. 
do you not think? Not for me, I have to say. I've always felt like there's a bit of a ticking clock. Um, and I say it in the book. I think when I turned 18, I just was in tears. I was like, I was expecting this big, amazing life. And it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. And, you know, you kind of dream of a life of adventure and travel and, you know, freedom. And those things kind of don't happen if you don't really, really work for them. And things didn't quite click for me for a very long time. So 37, I mean, when I lost the that that pregnancy, I'd already had one miscarriage already. So that was, and I'd already had another ectopic. And then I had my, my lovely daughter and then I had the other ectopic. So I don't know if other people out there have, have um, had infertility, but it can kind of stop you from living because every month you're worried about becoming mm. pregnant. So 37 doesn't sound very old, but it kind of felt like I hadn't been living for quite a lot of years because the infertility had gone on since I was 30. So everyone else's lives were moving on. They're having babies. They were raising their kids and everyone was having one child, then two child. And you're like, nothing's happening for me. So it felt like I was pretty ancient. I mean, looking back now, you know, I'm like next, <laughs> next winter, I'm 50. And I feel young now. Like I feel pretty vibrant now, but so 37 is nothing, but I didn't feel it at the time. I just felt like every day I was going, why am I here? Like, what am I doing? It's interesting, isn't it? Because I suppose for women, we, we have like the clock within a clock, I guess. So we, you know, we can only reproduce for a finite amount of time within a finite amount of time. So I suppose that is something that, that we have to think about more. I think we do. I mean, obviously, lots of women don't want kids. Sure. Um, yeah. So I suppose that's one ticking clock taken away from them. But I think... I think there generally is a pressure of all this list of things you should have done by the time you're 30 and things you had to have done by this age or that age. And really, most of it's just bullshit, really, to be honest. Like, you put so much pressure on yourself and you compare. That's what I found myself doing. I was comparing to everyone around me, which is just ridiculous. You know, no, no happiness can come from this. So it just felt like I was failing on all, on all levels. I mean, there was lots of other stuff going on at the time. But my my relationship wasn't going very well and it hadn't been for a, a long time. And then it still took me ages to do anything about it. And I was living overseas and I really loved the country. I was living in New Zealand and it's such a beautiful place. But I think I just missed Europe. Like, so there was many different things that weren't quite right. Mm. So when that happened, it kind of puts them, put them into focus, but weirdly didn't make me change anything for a very long time. And... I don't know if you, you have this, but when you know you've got to change stuff, but you don't, it feels worse than before the realisation you need. To, you know what I mean? Like you yeah. constantly go, right, I, mean, you need to do, I shouldn't be in this relationship or I shouldn't be in this job. These things aren't making me happy or content. And you just sit there and sit there. And the longer you sit there, it kind of colours everything else. Like if one of those big components in life isn't, isn't right, then everything else around it kind of it bleeds into everything else. Yeah. And that's kind of what happened. So 37, but feeling a bit <laughs> over it, really. The good news is, as you said, you did sort of come out of this, I don't know, shall we call it a malaise? Do you think that would be like an appropriate... Well, I call it screensaver mode. That's kind of how I felt like. <laughs> just locked in that kind of waiting, not off, but not really on, just waiting for something to happen, really. So can you tell me, what is Regrets of the Dying? What's it about? On the surface, it's 21 stories from around the world with people talking about their lives, what their regrets are, 
and what's run up to the regrets, like the reason behind them. And it's a bit weird, really, because you've obviously got dying in the title, but it's really more about life, really. That's kind of what I wanted. I wanted it to be more about showing the patterns and why we make regrets, kind of reminding people that life is a finite thing, because we all realise that. And you kind of, you go, I've only got this amount. I need to make the most of it. And so what I wanted to do was, because it was making no sense to me, I was like, well, what am I here for? Like, what's what's the point of all this? It feels very kind of so low grade to me. I need to really crack on. I wanted to talk to loads of different people from all, all over the world, from lots of different backgrounds and see what their experience was. Because I was thinking so much about my regrets and I was so kind of caught up in them. I was wanting to know, you know, did they have the same kind of regrets? What were they thinking about, you know, as they're kind of moving to the last couple of years of their life or they're contemplating? Because obviously when someone gets a diagnosis or they get older, you do take, take account of your life and how you've spent it. And it's kind of a really good point to then talk to somebody. So that's what the book is. When, when people read it, they'll get 21 different stories that kind of can stand by themselves. But then hopefully by the end of it, you kind of just go, right, I need to crack on. I need to live now. It's, you know, lots of it is sad. Some of the people die already. And it's just like, you know, some of them become my friends. That's really hard when you, you know, you constantly feel like you're constantly saying goodbye to people. Mm. But I kind of feel like telling people's story is really important as well because dying people don't get to talk, you know, to tell people how they really feel. They're worried about what they're going to say. They're worried about upsetting people. And so some of them are anonymous or they've changed their names simply so that they can just talk. And I think just seeing them all in a row and the kind of re- the more you read, the more you realise that there's a pattern to what the reason why people have regrets. And I think that was really freeing for me anyway. People that have read it so far have said the same kind of thing, but... What you've done with the book is you've divided it into sections, work, family and friends, love, hard decisions and reflections. And I would think that in terms of regrets, right, I imagine work and family are two areas that sort of come up quite a lot in in these stories or or areas of life where people do feel a lot of regret, like either they work too much or they spent time doing something they maybe didn't really love or, you know, they they maybe had arguments with family members, etc, etc. I wondered if there were any particular regrets that came up a lot when you were interviewing people. I think the common themes were not the specifics of what they regretted. It was more the patterns that you saw. So the kind of three main ones were people doing things to make other people happy, people doing things to live up to other people's expectation. And also the real big one is people trying to rewrite history, um, which was the most interesting one for me, really. So like you were raised in a household without much money and then you become an adult and you're basically, your focus is getting money, making sure you're secure, making sure your family's okay. It kind of can become the overarching thing in the whole of your life to have a career to climb the ladder to really provide and so that's it's almost like that was the thing they wanted to rewrite they lived this certain life and they wanted to prove everyone wrong that they weren't really you know they were born into this life and then they could be something else and it's kind of the same with love as well you know when they were to do with love it was just like not feeling like you were loved when you were a child and then trying to prove your worth for the rest of your life and making bad decisions based on that you know what I mean or decisions that you wouldn't necessarily make if you knew what love really was, if you were grounded in a life of love when you were a kid, you probably wouldn't make that decision. If you didn't have money when you were a kid, then you go through your life trying to go, well, now I'm secure, now I'm secure. But then you forget maybe other things are going on, you know. So you try and go, this is the one thing I wanted to, I wanted to rewrite. 
and then you make decisions based on that consciously or subconsciously and then they're normally the, the things that come back to bite you basically because then the next generation is left with their own things to rewrite the one parent goes I'm going to provide for you and then the kid goes yeah but you were never here mm. or you were so focused on money that you weren't here and so I'm going to not do that I'm going to do the opposite to that and it's like a seesaw you try everyone's trying to make find some kind of balance so it's quite tricky that's really interesting because you can totally see how that would happen you overcompensate for one thing and then something else falls by the wayside while you're focused on this other thing so you've sort of touched on it there but like as well as some of the more obvious regrets relating to work or or family or whatever or like as you say rewriting history that's really interesting to me there's some other things that maybe wouldn't occur to people like people who regretted not speaking up or people who regretted keeping secrets were you surprised by those no not really because there were things done to try and stop hurting somebody else like in both those instances there's a Millicent which was the keeping a secret you know she spoke to me when she was this was 94 when she spoke and she kept this secret for the whole of her life something she'd seen when she was 14 15 and the reason why she kept her secret is because her mum told her to and so it was because she went against what she thought was best you know what I mean? I think that's the problem is when we're trying to do something to make somebody else happy rather than what we intrinsically know we should do. Mm. I think that's always going to be a thing that can start a regret or something that really weighs on on your mind. Because you're not doing what's natural to you. You're not yeah. you're not being who you're meant to be. You're kind of being forced into this other thing and then it lingers, you know. So you sort of spoke about it earlier talking about this kind of pressure almost that you you put on yourself and we've talked about this idea of like you know a a sort of ticking clock or whatever so just give you like an example yesterday me and mickey who uh who will make the podcast with we were recording something via zoom and our time was ticking you know when you've got like more than two people on the call and you've got 40 minutes on your zoom and it starts to run out and it tells you you know so the time was ticking down and I got quite panicked by the pressure of this. And I was like, oh, this is really intense. Uh, and we had to start again, basically, because I couldn't cope with it. I wondered, how useful is it, in a way, to remember that our time on Earth, as it were, is finite? Like, how does that sort of fit in with the notion that we should kind of live in the moment? Well, I definitely think we should remember our lives are finite. But I don't think it should be like you're, like you're watching your Zoom down because you can't no one no one can live like that it's like you have that saying or live every day like it's your last day it's just bullshit you can't nobody can live under that kind of course it's ridiculous i think what you have to remember is every time you go to put something off you know you're going to do a holiday you're going to travel to somewhere you've never been before you're going to take a chance on something you have to remind yourself what's the worst that can happen just try it just do it because you know even meeting up with friends or doing a family gathering you know we constantly put things off and I think in those moments, it's good to remember, well, that person might not be around forever. You know, like we do that with grandparents sometimes, don't we? We go, well, you know, grandma so-and-so is like 80, we better go and see her. But, you know, there's no guarantees that that person at 35 is going to be around next year. We have to kind of make the most of the people that are around us, you know, when they are and make the most of the opportunities as they are. But I think the whole notion of living in the moment is just, hmm, I think it's kind of negative, really. I think we have to not do what I did. I think we have to not plan so much, live so much in the planning of life. 
so that we miss out on today. I think that's really bad. And I think we have to make sure we don't live so much in the past. We don't spend so much of our time rehashing what could have been. So we're missing out on what's now. I, I think it's almost not an active thing living in the moment. I think if we don't live in the past and we don't live too much in the future, then we already are doing it. It's, it's done. We don't have to think about it too much. It's funny, isn't it? Because it, I totally see how they kind of interact, but in a way they do contradict each other. It's sort of like, on one hand, it's about not catastrophizing, like just getting on with it. And then on the other hand, it is kind of also about catastrophizing, like, well, that person might not be here. Do you, do you see what I mean? It's, it's kind yeah. of, it's like a bit of a weird paradox almost. Yeah, but I suppose you have to ask yourself, is it something you really want to do? And if it's something that you really want to do, then why not do it? You know, why, why do we constantly put stuff off? Because I think most of us do. I know I have in the past. And they're the kind of things I look back on and go, why didn't I do that? Even if I go somewhere that I really want to go to, I, I miss something out. I'm like, oh, no, I mean, I'm tired. I can't be bothered. Da, da, da. And that'll be the one thing I fixate on. I've gone all that way. And why didn't I do that? That's just ridiculous. You know, I think it just has to come down to what we, what you think you'll enjoy. Will you, do you actually want to do this? If you don't do it, will you look back on it and go, mm, yeah, I should have done that kind of thing. But I think it, it re- generally is more about not planning so much because I'd always lived by lists and spreadsheets. Like I, I've always done lists since I was about 10 or 11 five-year plan ridiculous I don't know what I was writing down at 11 <laughs> I'd love to see those lists now to see what was on there and then because half the things don't get ticked off because mm. I'm 11 it's like it feels like you're failing already and you haven't even started yet so and I think as adults we do that we have to have a plan but that plan can't be everything because life happens in between and we have to have a past but that can't be everything because there's so many other things going on around us we're not completely con- in control of it it's funny, isn't it? Because that idea of like five year plans and, and, and whatever sort of really um, resonates with me. I remember being a young woman and feeling like, you know, I'd be married at the age of 25 and I'd probably have kids by the time I was 30 and blah, blah, blah. blah. I had my first child when I was almost 37 and I am not married. And, you know, life does not go the way that you expect it will go a lot of the time. But also those kind of ideas, those plans are built on the basis of other people's ideals different times that sort of plan that I had was based on you know my parents generation and what they did and things change don't they they do and we're all coming from it from a different you know point of view aren't we in a a different circumstance like I I say in the book it's like we the road we come on is not one we've laid I wanted to ask you if you had like a favorite story reflection in the book was there anything that you felt really personally there's one in particular I think that I find um, quite I find it quite hard to talk about still actually. So her name was Katie. She's she's no longer with us. So she had bowel cancer and she found out when she was 31. Within the year she was gone. And so her chapter is like it's basically her blog. I worked with her uh, widow Stuart to edit it down so it really focused on the things that she really were gonna, was going to miss and how much she really didn't want to leave her family and I think out of all the chapters that's kind of the one that's that stayed because she was such a lovely person and I know they the kind of vernacular you're not really allowed to use now is fighting like you didn't fight because she she did and she used that word because that's exactly what she was doing because she wanted to stay with her kids and her husband and I think her reflections on her life like she didn't she said she didn't really like how she looked before 
before she came became ill you know obviously she had bowel cancer she became, she lost loads of weight and her hair fell out and she was like I would do anything to go back to the girl I was you know and then at the end she would she didn't have um bucket lists and she didn't have all these things to do. she didn't have the energy to do you know all these things but what she did want to do is just spend time with her kids and just spend time with her friends and just spend time with her husband and it was just it's such a crystallizing thing that the important stuff you know when you listen to her and what she has to say the important stuff is the stuff that we dismiss it's all the stuff that I dismissed for years the really important stuff the, the love we have for each other for the, for the people that really love us back and for the things we love to do whether it's work or pastimes but friends or family you know they're the things that she really remembered at the end not these grand holidays yeah I had to record the audiobook a couple of weeks ago and yeah I didn't get through that very well either we actually recorded it on what would have been her 42nd birthday so Katie there was another one actually there's a few actually there's there was um Kathy because she'd been in a kind of loveless cold marriage for decades and She's such a brilliant woman, like funny and smart. And, you know, she had on paper, she had everything. She had the nice house with a swimming pool. Her and her husband worked together in that way, but not in any other sense. And especially, I don't know if you, because you're a single mom, when, when my relationship was, had, I knew it was already over by that point. And my ex agreed to, it's very amicable, it's lovely. It's, we're just friends and it's all good. But I think listening to her and, the bit where she got really upset was looking back and going and me saying you know where do you think you'd be if if you'd left him sooner and she just she was like well this is the bit well I'm gonna have to forgive myself isn't it and she got quite choked up about it because she was really hard on herself but she did the best she could with us with the situation that she was in that's where you see the patterns because she was married before and her first husband was just horrible to her like as into the point of threatening to kill her and horrible things. So when she met her second husband, it was like, this guy is steady and he's not violent and he's kind and I'll be okay here. Mm. So it's like, that was her re trying to rewrite that past. And what she ended up with was a man that was very cold and distant, you know, and her having to rewrite it again for herself, you know, and now she's on her own with her friends and just I can't be happier for her really. But it took, she was 70. She was 70 when she left. I mean, I can't even imagine the amount of gumption that must have taken to restart your life at 70. So I guess I've got a question related to that, but but in general to like all of the things we've spoken about, because obviously you, you've spoken to young people as well. As you said, the condition that you set basically was they had to be over 70 or they had to have like a, a life-limiting illness. I guess for a start, do we value, I mean, I, I, I have I obviously have an opinion on this, but do you think we value the wisdom that comes with age in society? And also, is it ever too late? No, never too late. Never too late. And no, I don't think older people are so disrespected, I think. They're not thought about, they're not acknowledged, they're patronised. I hate that. The way people talk to old people, like they've never lived a life. I'm not... And you look at these people and you might know their backstory and all that they've been through, all the different heartaches and good and bad things that they've been through. And then people will see them and just they just see some old woman, an old man, and they think of them as irrelevant. And I think I think that's something that can happen. You know, when you hit a certain age, I've heard this before, especially women saying mm. this, you know, once you hit the age of 50, that you're, you become invisible. I hope that's not going to happen. I'm 
visible in my own life I hope other people I hope that age thing has a different meaning now because 50 isn't what 50 used to be Mm. but yeah I think I think older people have so much to give us and I and I really hate the way they're bracketed all together like that one massive group I mean how many other groups could you be so disparaging about you wouldn't say all these people are like this and all these people like but it's like all old people voted for Brexit or all old people are racist or all old it's just laziness. It's real pure laziness. Because they can be cheeky as hell and just, you know, think what they got up to. What did we get up to when we were younger? They were probably getting up to the same stuff, you know. The world hasn't changed that much. They maybe had to do it in slightly different ways. They had to be a bit more private about it. It doesn't mean it didn't go on. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. The final part of your book, the conclusion, if you like, is 10 tips to live a less regretful life. And um, I'm not going to ask you to go into too much detail because obviously we want people to go and buy your book and find out how to live a less regretful life as well as be inspired by the incredible stories in it. But can you tell me, for you, what's the most important lesson you learned while you were writing the book? I think it was to be honest with yourself. Like to really take stock. If, if I was going to say one overarching thing and not putting it into 10 bullet points, it would be be honest about yourself. Be honest about what you want. Is something making you happy? Is something making you content? And if it's not, you need to find some kind of way, even a small way to change it. And if you do like it and it does make you happy and content, then we need to learn how to appreciate it, you know, and really respect it. And I think that's, to me, the overriding thing. And that's what I've come away with. And also actually that, love is the most important thing and that sounds so trite it sounds like some Richard Curtis movie but it's but it kind of but it just it it just kind of is because it's what our relationships with people I mean what makes us happy we see a friend they give us a hug or you know our our kids come in and they're actually nice to us and (laughs) or you're watching movie together like ridiculous little moments that are kind of nothing on paper like everyone's laughing at the same joke what a lovely moment. And that's what life is made of, those lovely moments. I think we dismiss it. I think we dismiss the everyday so easily. We've somehow become so obsessed with being extraordinary and being, you can't be normal. When everyone's normal to a certain degree, like it's called normal for a reason, the norm, the, you know, yeah. why is that such a bad thing? I just, that seems crazy to me. So it would be just change what things what things you don't like, what things don't make you content anymore and appreciate what does. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Statistically, we can't all be exceptional, can we? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it doesn't make sense to expect that we will all be exceptional. We we just can't be. Like, otherwise it, it, it wouldn't be a thing. It, it wouldn't be exceptional if we were all at whatever level. It's completely true. Most of us are are normal. Most of us, if you look at it, what what are we all doing? We're, we're most of us are going out to work. If you have a family, then you're raising that. If you have friends, then you're look, trying to look after each other, maybe especially right now. And it's just like, what is wrong with that? If that's the key foundation of your life, then that's a pretty good thing. And you see the the other side of that when you meet older people. Like one of the guys I met, Sid, his regret was about losing the love of his life, and. The postman coming in the morning was the highlight of his life because then he knew he was still alive. And I was thinking, God, how long has it been maybe since somebody's hugged you? He got one Christmas card and that was for me. And I almost felt like maybe I shouldn't have sent it because it kind of made it seem more obvious that nobody else has. If you if you have a few people in your life that love you and care care about and you miss you when you're not there, then you are a lucky human being. And you can't dismiss it because you haven't achieved this yet. I think that's what I was always doing. I was going... 
I'm going to live this great life and I kind of don't want that anymore anyway. That's not what I re- really what I'm about. I think that's another bit, actually, that you have to, to realise that what you want in life changes. And sometimes we get stuck in that whole thing of, well, this is who I am and this is what I go for. And at some point, that's not what you want anymore, but you kind of feel like you're on this path and you've been on this path for so long, you've got to keep going. Again, it's that honesty thing. Is this what I really want? Is this the relationship I still want? Is this the friendship group I still want? Is this the neighbourhood I still want to live in? Is this a job I still want to do? Georgina, Regrets of the Dying, Stories and Wisdom that Remind Us How to Live is published by Welbeck on the 14th of April. Where can we follow you to keep up with what you're up to next? I'm on Twitter, so at Georgina Skull. Georgina, thanks very much for joining me. Thanks, Jen. It's been lovely. Standard issue for all women.